Thessalonians chapter 4. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do, who have no hope. As we open up God's Word here, uh, we, we come to the end of our series of messages on the Apostles' Creed, and I thought it would be fitting for us as we, as we come to a close here to make sure that we recite it together in its entirety. So would you, let's stand as we uh, recite together this ancient declaration of faith that we affirm as Risen Hope Church and as members of this church. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic or Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Now, Lord, would you please come as we open up your word, would you speak to us in such a way that we will feel not the authority of a creed, but the authority and the clarity and the power of your word. Father, please speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
We are going to expound this afternoon the last two of the creedal affirmations of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Chosen for my text, 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, that which Katie has just read for us. There were other texts I could have easily chosen uh, for this message, 1 Corinthians 15 comes very readily to mind, that great resurrection chapter where Paul declares in, in systematic and, and in logical and expansive ways the reality of the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. But I chose this one, 1 Thessalonians 4, because it is so very personal. It is very pastoral. And as one of your pastors, I would simply love that this be a go-to text in your life. I, I hope that 1 Thessalonians 4 will hold a, a significant place in your heart, a significant place in your life. I want it to be familiar to you. I want it to be something you hold on to. I want it to be a text that you turn to in your moments of grief, in your moments of loss, in your moments of need. And it's fitting that we visit this topic of comfort in our grief, which is what this text is about. It is fitting that we do so as we enter the Christmas season. The Christmas season is a season of great joy, but simultaneously for many of us, it is a season for many reasons of intense sorrow as well. It is a season in which the losses of life come home to us. It is a season in which those who have gone on before us, their absence is deeply felt as, as their chair is empty around the tree or at the table. I was thinking the other day how much I miss my parents, uh, how long it feels since I last saw them. Three of Galen's and my parents have died in the holiday season. They, they died in the Lord as those who trusted in Jesus, but they are missed, they are loved, and as time goes on, it in some ways grows deeper and more painful of a loss. And, and if you add in for each of us, not only the loss of loved ones, but other family griefs and life experiences, this time of the year can be hard. Uh, Galen and I have um, often reviewed our own history at this time of the year, our own record of the holiday season and the things that have happened in our lives in this time of the year. And uh, recently we just collected a list and here's, here's our own experience. Thanksgiving 1999, we had a house fire that bumped us from our home for seven weeks. Christmas Eve 2004, a son was diagnosed with cancer. Christmas Day, 2005, my father died of cancer. Right after Christmas, in early 2006, right after my dad had died, my 
mom and one of our children were both hospitalized with life-threatening conditions. Thanksgiving 2006, I injured my back. I was laid up in bed for five weeks during Thanksgiving. And on December 1st, while I was still in bed, my mom died of cancer. Just after Thanksgiving in 2012, Gaylene's dad died and went to be with Jesus. In Christmas of 2014, one of our children, deeply loved in the grip of depression, disappeared from our home, and we've barely seen this child since then. So each Christmas, there is a hole in our hearts. Each Christmas, there, there's an empty space in each picture. I'm sure that you know the feeling. It's, it hurts. And, and there's a need for hope. And for Galene and me, we have clung to hope. We have, we have realized that if there is no hope, there is nothing. But there is hope. There is hope. And, and for the sake of my own heart, I am glad I'm in 1 Thessalonians 4. And, and for the sake of your heart and mine together, I am grateful for this letter. This, 1 Thessalonians is a book of hope. The, the Thessalonian church was going through hardships, going through trials. There were deaths in the congregation and among the families there. Believers were suffering greatly. Some cases they were dying. And that was a bit of a surprise, it seems, to the Thessalonians. These, these New Testament Christians seem to have had the mistaken impression that the second coming of Jesus was going to come sometime in their lifetime. And so when believers started to die, they started to panic in their faith. What happened? We thought Jesus was coming back. And so Paul writes to comfort them and to reassure their weeping hearts and so 1 Thessalonians is this epistle, this letter of hope. It's about Christian hope for believers who find themselves in a world that labors, that languishes under a cloud of constant sorrow and constant grief. I, I would love to have the time to, to just take you through the entire book. Each chapter of this book closes on a note of hope. Each chapter closes reminding us of the second coming of Jesus Christ and its implications for our lives. We don't have time to go through it all. We're just going to look at this one text. And let me try to summarize this one text for you. Here's, here's a statement, and I'm going to repeat this statement a dozen times by the time we're done here, so hopefully it'll secure its place in your mind and in your heart. Here's, here's what Paul wants us to see in 1 Thessalonians 4. We need to encourage hope in each other. We need to encourage hope in each other with this certain promise that believers, whether alive or asleep in Jesus, will rise again, in physical and spiritual wholeness, 
when Jesus comes to enjoy an everlasting reunion with one another and with our Lord. Let me, let me repeat that. We need to encourage hope in each other with this certain promise that believers, whether alive or asleep in Jesus, will rise again in physical and spiritual wholeness when Jesus comes to enjoy an everlasting reunion with one another with our Lord. Now, let's do this like a marriage vow here. Repeat after me. We need to encourage hope in each other. With this certain promise. That believers, whether alive or asleep in Jesus, will rise again in physical and spiritual wholeness when Jesus comes to enjoy an everlasting reunion with one another and with our Lord. Amen. Let me take that statement apart here a little bit and make sure you understand each individual part of it. All of it's rooted right in the text. Let me start with the first part. We need to encourage hope in each other. We need to recognize that the, the, the need for hope is met as we encourage hope in each other. Notice that Paul encourages hope in verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as those, as others do, who have no hope. Paul says, I want to make sure you have hope. I want to make sure that you are encouraged. I want to, don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant of this. I want you to be aware so that in your grief, you will know that you have hope. And then he proceeds to give them that hope. And then he closes in verse 18 with the words, therefore, encourage one another with these words. So verses 13 through 17 are Paul modeling for us the kind of ministry we are to have to each other. We are to be people of hope and we are to be people who are encouraging hope in one another. We are people who are to be talking about hope. Therefore, he says, encourage one another with these words. We need to be a church. We need to be a congregation. We need to be a community of hope. We need to encourage hope in each other with this promise. Notice, we need to encourage hope in each other with this certain promise. With this certain promise. You say, Tim, where do you get that? I get that from verse 14. For since 
we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. You need to follow Paul's logic here. He is saying, since we believe, since we know, since it is a fact that Jesus died and rose again, based on that fact, we now can communicate to others that God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. If Jesus rose from the dead, then God's people will rise from the dead. It is a guarantee. It is an assurance. The resurrection of Christ is not just an event in the past. It is a guarantee for the future. It is a certain promise. It is an absolute promise. The resurrection of Jesus was not a myth. It was not a legend. It was a historical fact. We could take hours to demonstrate that and prove it. It's easy to prove. And that resurrection that happened in history where Jesus came back from the dead and was alive never to die again, that resurrection is the guarantee that we need that we're going to be raised too. It was in the, in the Scriptures, there's this metaphor that's used that the resurrection of Christ was like the first fruits or the early harvest. Back in the olden days when, when they, it was harvest time, they would go out and they'd gather in just a little bit of the harvest and they'd bring it in and either offer it to the Lord or they would eat it and it would be, this is the first fruits, this is the early harvest, this is the promise that there is more to come, there's more food out there in the fields, there's, there's more to eat. And this is the guarantee of it. This is the promise of it. Jesus' resurrection is the First fruit, it's the early harvest. It's the, the promise, it's the event that promises more. Back, uh, or I should say, in four weeks, four weeks from today, Galen and I celebrate our 40th anniversary. I know we don't look nearly that old, but it's true. It's true. And about a year before that wedding day, I gave Galene a ring. And the ring was a gift that promised more. It was a moment that was not really about the moment so much as it was about the future. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that event, that moment in history that declares that something glorious is going to happen. Something amazing is going to happen. Something wondrous is going to happen. Through the resurrection of Christ, it is proven that everybody who genuinely trusts in Jesus as their Savior and Lord will themselves be raised from the dead. In Christ, we are raised. So we have, we need to encourage hope in each other with this certain promise. This certain promise. Now what is that promise? That believers, that believers, whether alive or asleep, in Jesus, will rise again. That believers, whether alive or asleep, in Jesus, will rise 
This is a promise for believers. This is a promise for those who are trusting in Christ. In verse 13, Paul calls them brothers. So he's writing this to brothers and sisters in faith in Jesus. In verse 14, he says, we believe that Jesus died. He's writing to believers. In verse 16, he says that the dead in Christ will rise. He is talking about people who through faith have been united to Christ and they are going to rise. This is a Christian hope. This is a hope and a certain promise for those who love the Lord Jesus Christ, for those who have trusted in Him as their Savior and Lord. And it's a promise for them whether they are alive or whether they are asleep. Whether they are alive or whether they are dead, asleep is is a New Testament, beautiful New Testament term for death for the Christian. See, death for the Christian is is not the end. It's, It's not obliteration. It's not annihilation. It's not disintegration. Death for the Christian is is a mere sleep. Indeed, the, the spirit immediately goes into the presence of God. The body goes to sleep. And outwardly it may decay and will decay, but it is only a sleep. It's going to wake up again. It's going to wake up again. The dead in Christ are promised hope. And those that are still alive when Jesus comes back are promised hope. Christian hope doesn't end at death. It just takes one more step toward its final fulfillment. This is a promise that has no expiration date to it. This is a promise that will be fulfilled. We need to encourage hope in each other with this certain promise that believers, whether alive or asleep in Jesus, will rise again in physical and spiritual wholeness. They will rise again. Verse, there's kind of double rising that goes on here in this text. First of all, in verse 16, those that have fallen asleep in Jesus, it says, will, will rise, they will be raised from the dead. It says, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So they're going to rise, but then there's a different kind of arising that's going to happen in verse 17. For those who are alive when Jesus comes back, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them, those that were asleep and have been raised from the dead, and we will meet with them together, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So there's going to be this arising, there's going to be this raising up of the dead, and even the raising up of the living who are in faith. And and we are all going to rise again to spiritual and physical wholeness. Just flip over to chapter 5 and verse 23. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body 
be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Here is a promise of spiritual and physical wholeness. God is going to do a work in us so that spiritually and physically, in spirit and in body, we will be completely whole. We will be without sin spiritually. Our, our spirits are going to be perfected, never to sin again. We will be made like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. We are going to be perfect creatures, sinless creatures. No more envy, no more temptation, no more anger, no more lust, no more bitterness, no more prejudice, no more bigotry, no more racism, no more counter-racism, none of that. It's going to be done. We are going to be whole in spirit. And here is hope, not just for us, but here is hope for any of us who have children and loved ones who we look at right now and we say they're not whole. They're unwell spiritually. They're unwell physically. I assure you, based on the promises of God's Word, that if at any point in their lives they either have come to faith or are in faith, be sure of this. Be sure of this. The day is coming when they will be whole. They will be healed. They will be well in body and in spirit. They will be made whole. And not just spiritually, but physically. This text in chapter 5 talks about the complete wholeness of body. It's, it's amazing. Our, our bodies are going to be made whole. They're going to be made healthy. There, there will be a resurrection and a perfection and a glorification of our bodies. Jesus came not just to save our souls. It's an amazing thing. He came to save our bodies too. This is, this is something that um, is what makes Christmas pretty significant, folks. You see, because the eternal Son of God was willing to enter into a human body. And in doing that, He declared that He was coming not just to save our spirits, but to save our bodies too. And so it was in a body that He lived, and in a body that He suffered, and in a body that He died, and in a body that He rose from the dead, and in a body right now that He sits upon the throne of heaven, and in a body He's going to come back for us so that we, in our bodies, then glorified, then made immortal, then made imperishable, might enjoy side by side with Him in physical existence in glory an eternal life and wholeness of spirit and body with Him. That's glory indeed. 
glory indeed. That's, that's the promise. And that's, you know, Christmas is in that, in that little infant child, in that little baby's body, there is promise. There is promise. There is a future. <laughs> There's a future for your body and mine. I look in the mirror these days, and it seems to be going in the opposite direction. It seems to be going toward weakness. It seems to be going toward frailness. It seems to be going toward a lessening of the eyesight and a lessening of the hearing and a lessening of the memory and a lessening of a lot of things. But on that day, it's all going to be restored. It's all going to be perfected. It's all going to be glorified because of Christ. Because of Christ. And this is the promise to us. This is the thing that we need to encourage each other with. And folks, this is a promise of completion. I don't know about you, but there's so much of life that just feels incomplete. There's so much of life that feels unfinished. So much of life that just feels undone. But this is a promise of completion. Paul says in chapter 5 and verse 24, after he has promised them that they will be blameless in spirit and soul and body on the day of the coming of the Lord Jesus, he says in verse 24, he who calls you is faithful, he surely will do it. He will get it done. He will accomplish it. He will finish it. He will make it happen. This is a promise of completion. Philippians 1, I am sure of this, that, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God finishes what God starts. And oh, my friends, may that be not just kind of platitude-sounding phrase, but may it be something that speaks confidence and boldness and certainty into our hearts. There, there is no expiration day on the promises of God, but there is a completion day. There is a completion day. There, there is a day coming when God will make good on His promises and He will make us good in every way. We need to encourage hope in each other with this certain promise that believers, whether alive or asleep in Jesus, will rise again in physical and spiritual wholeness. And they will do that when Jesus comes. Verse 15 And hear these words. You can, you can feel Paul's heartbeat racing here. You can, you can, you can feel Paul getting excited here. You can, you can feel the, the sense of he, as, as the words were, were flowing off of his, his quill onto the parchment, you could, and the Spirit of God was inspiring these words in him. You, could, you can just feel that he, he realized that this is, this is amazing. What does he say? 
verse 15, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. All of this is going to happen when Jesus comes. Christmas was the first coming of Christ. This is the second coming of Christ. This is the final coming of Christ. I grew up singing a simple chorus. He is coming again. He is coming again. He is coming again with power and great glory. He is coming again. The writer of the song uh, maybe could have worked a little harder at a little variety there. But maybe, just maybe, the writer of the song realized that that was all that needed said. He is coming again. He came the first time to die. He comes the second time to reign. He comes with a cry of a command. Perhaps very likely the voice of God the Father Himself. He comes with the voice of an archangel. He comes with a trumpet sounding. And as, as Leo said earlier, the first coming of Christ was a coming of humility. But the second coming will be a coming in glory. The first coming was a coming in obscurity. The, the second coming is going to be a horizon to horizon majesty. The first coming was in a virgin's womb. The second coming is going to be on a white stallion. The first coming was to suffer and die. The second coming to reign and to put death to death forever. The first coming was to redeem us through His blood. The second coming is going to be to remake us and to exalt us at His side. The first coming was to walk on this old and tired and broken world. The second coming will be to make all things new. Oh, let us then encourage hope in each other with this certain promise that believers, whether alive or asleep in Jesus, will rise again in physical and spiritual wholeness when Jesus comes. And when He comes, we will enjoy an everlasting reunion with one another and with our Lord. I love the reunion language of verse 17. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with 
them. Who are the them? Those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. They've been raised up from their graves. Their bodies have been raised up. We will be caught up together with them. Reunion time. In the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. To meet the Lord. Think about that phrase. Think about those words. We are going to meet Jesus. We, we, in this life, we, we take a certain amount of pride, a certain amount of joy when we get to meet famous people or meet somebody for the first time. Well, what about this? We are going to meet the Lord in the air. There's, there's going to be a face-to-face greeting with Jesus. Jesus is going to look into my eyes and say, welcome, Tim. He is going to look into your eyes if you are in Jesus and say, welcome, my child. Welcome, my brother. Welcome, my sister. We are going to meet Him. We're going to see Him. And we're going to be like Him. This is, this is the glory of heaven. This is the glory of the Christian life. This world, is, you know, it's broken, but there's, a lot, there's still joys and there's still happiness and there's still goodness. And God has made a beautiful world and a bountiful world. But this is nothing compared to heaven. And in heaven, above everything else, is we get to meet Jesus. We, I, I have loved ones in heaven. I can't wait to see them. That's going to be a glorious reunion. But I want to see Jesus first. I want to see Jesus. I want to see the one who bled for me and died for me. I want to see the one who loved me from before the world was made. I want to see the one who set his heart on me and said, I'm going to make Tim and all those who trust in me into my bride, into my love forever. I want to see the one who loved me. I want to see him. I want to meet him. I want to hug him. I want to, uh, I want to bow at his feet. I want to kiss his feet. I want... I just want to hear his voice. I just want to meet Jesus. And meet him we will. Meet him we will. As surely as you and I are in this place this afternoon, we will be meeting Christ in the air. We're going to see him and be with him be like Him. This is the theme of all of Scripture. Go all the way back to Job. In Job chapter 19, for I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, He shall stand upon the earth after my skin shall be destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. It's Job. You know the story of Job. The man, is, the man is suffering and the man realizes the day is going to come when my skin is going to be destroyed. I am going to die, but in my flesh, in this body, I am still going to see God. And I'll see Him, he goes on to say, for myself. <laughs> Won't be eyewitness stuff going on there. Won't be secondhand stuff going on there. I will see Him for myself. And my eyes 
shall behold him. It's an echo of Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, you can finish it, right? Face to face. Face to face. It's an echo of John in 1 John 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we shall be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. It's an echo of John 14 and the words of Jesus, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? But if I go, and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And, and these, are, these words, oh, the comfort of them. I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. This is the ultimate reunion. This is the ultimate reunion. And so, what are we saying when we say we believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting? We're saying this. We're saying this. We're saying that we need to encourage hope in each other with this certain promise that believers, whether alive or asleep in Jesus, will rise again in physical and spiritual wholeness when Jesus comes to enjoy an everlasting reunion with one another and with our Lord. And so, I'm going to see dad and mom again. And they're going to say, hey Tim, come take a look at Jesus. And we will be forever with one another. With those who are believers in Jesus, we will be forever with them, with the Lord. Can I, can I say this? Don't let the delay discourage you. It's easy, isn't it, to identify with the words of Peter when he wrote about some people of his day. Many will say, where is the promise of his coming? For, for ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning. You ever thought that? You ever wondered? Where is this? He said he's coming, and he hasn't come yet. When's this going to happen? Remember what Peter said in response to that. Do not overlook this one fact, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Keep in mind that in God's reckoning of things, it's only been a very short time. And then Peter goes on to say that the reason the Lord is delaying is because in His patience... And in his love for sinners, he wants all to come to repentance. He wants more and more to come to faith. You see, the time between the promises of God in the New Testament and their fulfillment is not a sign that his promises have failed, but a sign that his patience and his compassion 
have not failed. Jesus hasn't come back yet. Why? Because there's more he wants to save. And so, let us in the meanwhile, while we wait, let's be active. Let's be talking. Let's, let's live in such a way that others look at us and say, what is the reason for the hope that is in you? So that we can say, well, Jesus died for me. And Jesus rose from the dead for me. And Jesus is coming back for me. And I'm going to live with Him forever. And so whatever happens here, however hard, however many tears, however difficult, however dark the clouds, there is always hope. There is a sun shining. There is a new day and a new dawn coming. Let us live in such a way that people see that in us, that we are not those who despair. We are not those who are overly depressed. We, are, we can weep, but it's not as those who have no hope. We have hope. And let us live in that hope for the glory of God. And let us live in that hope so that we become living testimonies of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so this holiday season, when there will be many, including yourselves, who are weeping in the midst of the joy, when you meet others who are weeping, give them a little bit of Jesus. Give them a little bit of hope. Give them a little bit of the gospel. Invite them to come over these next couple of weeks. There are invitation cards, I believe, in the back as you're leaving. Invite people to come. Maybe invite them into your home. Offer a meal to somebody who is alone, somebody who is discouraged, somebody who is depressed. Give them something of the love of Christ, the hope of the gospel. And we know that God is long-suffering. He is patient in His heart, not willing that all or any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And let us so live and so love and so speak and so hope that our lives will shine hope into theirs. Let's pray. Father in heaven, give us hope. If there's any here, Lord, who came in having lost hope, oh, may they leave full of hope, full of hope full of Christ, full of your promises. Oh, please, Lord, so work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.